Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Welcome to the show. Got a great show planned for you. It's kind of an interesting one. I, um, oh, it's the return to a topic that we talked about a long, long time ago, and I kind of mention it casually in passing and a couple people have asked me to drop deeper into it as always you know if there's a topic you want us to hit circle back to drop deeper into you tell us in the dms on our loveline ig page some of y'all slide into my personal page at dr donahue on uh, ig and a couple people were like yo you keep talking about toxic monogamy you know is monogamy why is monogamy bad but blah, blah, blah. it's like oh you know toxic monogamy doesn't mean monogamy is bad it's a specific form of monogamy that is a toxic form so and um, there's so much bundled up into that. So we're going to talk about that, but it really becomes a larger topic of relationality and sexuality and real juicy and meaty. Um, so we'll get into that because you know what? You ask for it, you get what you want. It's literally like Burger King. Does Burger King still say that you you get it your way or is that, or have we evolved beyond that because that got taken advantage of? But when I was a kid, that was the joke. People would be like, this ain't Burger King. You don't get it your way. Um, but you do hear it, Loveline, so... It is like Burger King, but we do veggie burgers because, you know, I'm vegan. Okay, so I wanted to open up the show by just talking about something that I think needs more normalization. And it becomes, again, a wider conversation, as does everything I talk about. There's this idea that children need two parents. There's this idea that children need a father and a mother. And I'll hear people say, oh, they need a father figure. Children need primary caregivers. They, the gender of the primary caregiver is not relevant because we don't need to raise children in standard forms of gender training. Uh, we want children to be raised authentically, which is them having access to a wide variety of options so they can develop into the person that they want to be, not what culture wants. And we're stepping outside of the binary and we're realizing that there is no right way to be a man or right way to be a woman. And children need primary caregivers. And everyone fathers differently. Everyone mothers differently. There isn't even one stand, gold standard for what it would mean to have a father. A lot of fathers are absent or abusive or raise their children in toxically masculine ways. Mothers can be quite abusive and toxic and also raise their children and enforce toxic masculine ways. So let's step outside of this idea that children need a certain number or certain gender of caregivers. No studies support that. And in fact, actually, tons of studies show that children raised in same-sex environments actually do better in school, have higher levels of relational skill sets, better relational skills, better communication skills, and higher rates of empathy and compassion. So they actually fare better at times when they maybe have two same-sexed parents 
and children also thrive in single parent homes because having two parents doesn't necessarily mean you have access to two parents or two healthy parents. So it's 2022. We've, we've evolved beyond that idea. Um, so the reason why I bring that up is because a lot of people also, also think that women, people that are, you know, female body diagnosed female at birth. Um, I don't know if we really apply this to trans women as much as cis women, but it's assumed that women innately know how to parent and are better parents than someone who's male. Also not true. Men are often not given the opportunity to even parent and to demonstrate those parenting skills. But again, if you look at single fathers and, and families that have two fathers, they're doing phenomenally. Somehow, yes, they do have the ability because every human knows how to be a caregiver. It's just toxic masculinity and gender training has often sent the father off to work. Men are not raised in environments where they're allowed to be emotional or relational. Um, girls play games, which are f often, you know, face-to-face, -face, emotionally driven, socially driven. Men are always sent into competitive sports, side-by-side, -side, competing, have to be tough. All of that filters down and is a mess. And I was looking at an article that was talking about the fact that yes, fathers also experience hormonal shifts and structural brain changes as a result of the birth of their child. It isn't just a mother-child bond. Fathers often aren't given the opportunity to bond with the children or to learn how to father or parent. Women often take that role over, ignoring the man, not allowing the man. And yes, of course, there's a lot of men that are absent and don't wanna be a part of the process. So I'm trying to normalize that they should be and they could be and they can be. And the research shows that emotionally involved fathers also experience increased oxytocin, dopamine, reduced levels of aggression and testosterone, higher levels of prolactin, higher levels of vasopressin, just like women do. Yeah, that's right. Men, ready? Here's a beautiful statement. Research has shown that men who hold their baby close within the first 24 hours following birth report better bonding. And now the experts are saying fathers also need skin to skin time and touch with the baby within a couple hours of the baby being born. Just a half an hour of that rewires their brain. So let's remember that, that we have to bring fathers into that. So that's what I wanted to kind of open up is uh, open up the show by pushing back on some of the gendered training. And I will continue to always do so because I advocate for us living in truth and reality and following the science, not these outdated, problematic, toxic, limited, gender rolled ideals. <laughs> Because again, that's not fair to the single fathers, the gay male couples that are raising children that are thriving and crushing it. This idea that it's the job of a woman. A lot of women are horrible at raising children. Not everyone is built to be a parent. It is not a genetic thing. It is not a gendered thing. It is an individual thing based on a lot of life experiences, socialization, attachment style, emotional regulation, and temperament match or mismatch. A mother with a mismatched temperament to their child, it's going to be wild and problematic. All right, we're going to come back and talk about monogamy, the good, the bad, the ugly, y'all. It's going to be a journey, so stick around for that. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back, y'all, so don't go anywhere. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Oh, Rachel, we are back. You, you should see how much research I have swimming around me right now. I don't think I've ever had so much I wanted to say on a topic. And of course, you know, we can only ever go so deep. Um... Monogamy, ain't nothing wrong with it. You know, it's one of many different relational styles. All I care about is the ability for individuals to make a choice that makes sense to them. And, uh, you know, we don't enter relationships, as I say all the time, to make our lives harder. And I want people to be a little more honest about who they are and what what, what can be expected of them. We all exist on this continuum between uh, pair bonding on one side, you know, the desire for pair bonding and relationality and coupledom. And then on the other side is the opposite, where we want freedom and we want autonomy and we want to move through the world as a single unit. And we're all somewhere on that continuum in respect to how much meaning or weight or power one of those poles has versus the other. Uh, some people are a little more relationally pulled where they want to be within relationship and spend a lot of time with their other and other people, maybe they're more in the middle where they want a little bit of both. And some people skew a little bit towards wanting a little bit of some singledom. And remember, just because you're someone who's very interested in relationship doesn't mean you're a love addict. That's not a real thing. It doesn't mean you're relationally obsessed. It's okay to say relationships important to me. I will always challenge people that say you're single, learn to be single. Why can't you just be happy being single? I agree if singledom is your goal, but if you're someone who likes and values relationship, then don't work or learn how to be single. Why should you learn how to be something that you're not interested in? Would you tell someone unemployed to learn how to be unemployed? No, you'd say if employment and a job and career is your goal, you keep working on creating that, building that, and achieving that. Relationships are the same way. If you like relationality, you own that. We get borrowed functioning from relationships. We get co-regulation from relationships. I'm one of those people where I function far better in primary partnership. But then there's some people that are the other side. And that doesn't mean that they are avoidant. That doesn't mean that they are intimacy, um, that, that they can't tolerate intimacy or don't want it. It's okay to be someone who likes a lot of time alone and on your own. I'm also that person. I'm, I'm kind of oddly both poles at the same time. <laughs> both at the same time. I want to be in deep, committed, close, consistent relationality, but then also have time on my own and symbolically have that exist. But some, but the tension and pull is going to be different for some of us. And we want to be aware of who we are in that way. And then we also have to talk about that some people are aromantic, just like some people are sexual and some people are asexual, meaning they don't necessarily have an interest or desire for sexuality. Romance is the word we use for your relational interest. And some people are romantic, meaning they seek and enjoy romance and partnership. Some people are aromantic. They don't have any interest in relationality. That's okay. That doesn't mean you're bad or broken. Just like you can be one thing sexually and another thing romantically, or relationally would be another word for that. Meaning you're sexual 
that's the key word, orientation, is the genders you enjoy sexually. So you can be bisexual. I like all genders sexually, that means. But then you might be homoromantic, meaning, but I only like relationships with someone of the same gender. They, those two things do not always correlate and align. What you're interested in sexually is not always the same thing you're in into romantically and relationally. They can be separate. That's a profound realization for a lot of people, also very normalizing. You could be, and it tends to go the route of more sexually fluid, less relationally fluid. But those are separate pieces that we have to consider. So remember that. Those pieces kind of fall into that as well. And I want psychology programs to talk about all the relational styles and configurations and talk about the benefits and negatives to all of them. Monogamy has benefits, but also has a lot of negatives. Poly, open, and other styles have a lot of benefits and a lot of negatives. We have to talk about all of them equally. One is not better than the other. One is not a sign of more care, love, or commitment than the other. They're just different. And I want people to honestly ask for what they need. If you don't like monogamy or if you keep failing at it, stop doing it. Say to your partner or future partners, I don't do monogamy. It's not right for me. It doesn't feel good to me. It's okay to choose what works for you and your systems and your biological needs and urges. That is mental health, being honest and authentic with who you are and what can be expected of you and what you need. Ask for that. I want to tell you all a story, and I, I think we have time for it, yeah. My older brother, I shared this once on the show before. I often share this when I travel and lecture, I share this with my patients sometimes. My, my brother's girlfriend, ex-girlfriend now, <laughs> but at the time girlfriend, uh, asked him to come into her individual therapy, which happens. It's still her therapy, but sometimes we'll invite in someone's friend or family member, partner, um, still in service of our client's therapy, but to help them maybe communicate something, set a boundary. It's never about the person coming in. It's still about our primary client. They're adjunctively coming in, supportively. And the therapist turned it into a discussion of why won't you propose to her? Why don't you want to marry her? If you loved her and you liked intimacy, you would. Something's wrong with you in terms of your intimacy tolerance. That is not only categorically wrong, that is abusive. That's a form of emotional abuse that was put upon my brother and also fed to the girlfriend. What therapist is speaking like that? Oh, that's right, the traditional therapist that doesn't have any training in sex and relationships, which is most of them, because you have to go get additional training. I had to train for five years in sex therapy to get certified. Most people will never do that, and they're peddling this crap. And that's why I do topics like this to liberate you from that. There's no relational style that's healthier or better. The answer is what's right for you. What do you need and who are you? And that's what you ask for. And if monogamy is what you prefer, awesome. If something more open is what you prefer and need, awesome. We communicate it clearly and we step into it. Only thing I want to point out is monogamy is such a gold standard that very few people interrogate why they're choosing it. Not everyone choosing it is choosing it from their health. Some people choose it for unhealthy pathological reasons because of their anxiety, because they want to control someone, because they want to own someone. Those are pathological reasons for choosing it and you should discourage it for that reason. We're gonna talk more about why, what, but I wanna share some interesting stats and facts when we come back because I think it's a very interesting topic. Um, we have such a creative, diverse ways of, of moving through the world and we wanna really honor and find out who we really are. Um, and then we'll be doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. That's where this topic came from. Topics that you want us to hit, things you want us to circle back, drop deeper into. And of course, questions, whatever you're wondering about, helping someone else as they're helping you, always anonymous, always confidential. And uh, we are channelq.com. It's where you want to go to check out past episodes of the show. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. Stick around, y'all. We'll be right back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back and uh, talking about monogamy. 
Uh, we're gonna just share some interesting things. Um, a lot of people aren't even aware of this. Uh, what comes up a lot in the discussion of monogamy in the research, and a lot of the books are written on it, that are written on it are about, is it natural, is it not natural? Which is always a fascinating concept to me because something being quote unquote natural, whatever that even means, doesn't necessarily mean that it's right for everyone. And um, we, a lot of things, norms, values, are social constructions. Those are things we came up with. And whether or not the animal and plant kingdom does or doesn't do something or what it would be like if we didn't live in the world the way we did isn't as relevant because we live in the world we live in and things are structured the way they're structured. And uh, But when we look at the research, what's quite fascinating is what's natural, what happens in the plant and animal kingdom is a lot of creative diversity. You see queer animals. You see animals that create and make sex toys. You see animals that use sexuality as a form of anger management and to create group cohesion when there's infighting within animal kingdoms and communities. You also see trans animals, animals that are asexual, plants that impregnate themselves, uh, animals that impregnate themselves and don't even require a male partner. You see males that give birth. It's, it's quite queer. Uh, we also see animal jealousy. We see animal sexual assaults where they force sexuality on each other. We see animals that use sex for bartering, a form of uh, sex work. We see animal breakups and adultery. Um, what's really wild is, you know, 3% of mammals are reported to be monogamous, 3%. That ain't much, y'all. And again, I'm making no, I'm not weighing in on yay or nay. I'm just sharing, you know, research and facts. Um, 10 to 15% of primates are monogamous. And they tend to see, uh, what are they, how do they call it? Birds, but uh, I forget what the larger term is. But birds tend to be the most monogamous. But what's really wild is we used to look at things like penguins and say, oh, they mate for life, they're monogamous. But through DNA testing, we started to realize, nope, they're cheating. Yep, they're having sex with other people. Not every child is is of the parents we think they are. All of that to just say, it's far more complex and nuanced than we want to make it. Animals are very diverse as are plants. If you really start to look at them, there are animals that eat their partner after they're impregnated. There are animals that create and force their own abortions. Nature is quite queer and diverse. And I think there's a real beauty in that. We see a lot of same-sex sexuality. There are some animals that prefer same-sex sex over opposite gendered. So when people talk about a lot of these evolutionary theories about what we're meant to do, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't fit what's happening in our current world, but a lot of them are rooted in a lot of odd, heterocentric, toxic norms and ideas. We used to think that if animals had same-sex partners that there was something wrong or something off, and it's like, no, there's just gayness everywhere, y'all. And so when we talk about monogamy, it doesn't matter whether or not it's natural, which which based on the numbers, it really isn't. Very few animals can even pull it off or try to. It isn't relevant for us as adults deciding what's important for us. And again, I'm not opposed to anything. I just want people to be thoughtful about why they're choosing what they're choosing so that it's a true choice, really weighing out the positives and the negatives of their choice, and then sliding into it, pulling it off, um, assessing the impact it has and checking in on it and go your merry way and be happy. But this research is quite phenomenal. I mean, I could spend the whole show just talking about the research. Um, uh, after this segment, we're going to do a DM and then we'll come back and kind of talk more and share more. I mean, it, it's quite, it's quite wild when you look at the research, but you know, 
why we started to do monogamy. We're going to come back later and talk about um, how well it's doing in terms of the stats is something we're going to come back and talk about. Um, so if anything, it's really just this show tonight is about doing better. You know, again, being very thoughtful about the choices we make and why, and really considering the impact that the choices we make have on our partners and our relationships, and just being open to discussing that and saying, how is that? Why are we doing that? I mean, I've said that about even monogamy on other unrelated shows where I've said, if you're going to choose that, sit down with your partner and say, what does that word mean to us as a couple? What are the boundaries around that? What are the expectations I have on you in choosing that? A lot of couples don't have that conversation. And then if someone does something that challenges the other person's definition, you don't have a right to get mad because we're all operating then from our own working definitions if we've never collectively come up with one and we need to. Otherwise, people have a right to operate from what they thought the boundaries were. And in this wild world that we're living in with technology, technology has become a vehicle uh, for an entry point and initiation and connection around sexuality in ways that we never had to cope with or deal with before. You actually had to leave the house for things to happen. Now, you can create a lot of things just sitting there with your partner on the other end of the couch on your phone. Um, and that's why it's really, you know, trust is not about control. Trust is about who do I know this person to be? And do I believe that they're going to look out for what's in my best interest, their best interest and the relationship's best interest. That's when we're talking about, you know, people compromising a monogamous contract, but people go the route of control when we're anxious and it's really about letting go and kind of seeing who we all are. And also, again, as we've talked about addressing what might be missing and what the needs are, but, uh, we'll talk more about that when we come back, we're going to do some DM. So Y'all put some questions in there in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, whatever you're wondering about, bam, put it in there. We'll answer it. Questions, topics, things you want us to circle back, drop deeper into. And as always, y'all, we are channelq.com. It's where you want to go to check out past episodes of the show. Binge, re-listen, post, and share. Stick around, though. So much more to come. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, how can I get more comfortable with exploring my own body sexually? I really want to be more comfortable in the bedroom, but I'm not, I'm not even 100% comfortable. <laughs> so here's the answer, experience. You need experience. Um, that's why I say to people, you know, in your 20s and 30s or any time in your life, get as much sexual relational experience as you can. These are learned skills. Um, practice makes perfect. We don't learn about cuisine and cooking by only making one meal the same way over and over. You have to go out and try and make different things. There are sexual relational developmental milestones. Um, I want people to be participating in uh sex, <laughs> you know, hookup culture. And we want to turn hookup culture into more of a positive, safe space. So more people can benefit from the pleasure, the joy, learning about their body, getting confidence from their, from their body, getting confidence from sexual exploration. Again, these are not innate things. They're reflected back to us. But more importantly, back to your question, I would say a few things. First, start by getting more confident in yourself sexually with yourself. And that's where solo sexuality, masturbation really comes in. Um, start masturbating where you are naked, where you can see yourself, the lights are on, go slow. Um, you have two hands, always have one hand or both hands exploring your body, seeing what parts of your body feel good to touch. We can use toys like vibrators and use those all over and on different areas of our bodies because our entire body's an erogenous zone, not just our quote unquote genitals, our whole body. And some people realize that they maybe prefer more full body touch versus genital touch, but get comfortable with yourself first. So explore your body, put your hands everywhere, look at every part, take your time, slow down. 
down. And once you get comfortable with who you are sexually, where you like to be touched, how you like to be touched, then move on to what would you like to be seen done? Look at a lot of pornography, masturbate to pornography, find what scenarios you like, what dynamics you like. And those are going to be some of the things you might start seeking with your partnered sex. Let your mind wander. What do you fantasize about? Those are the things you're going to create. We, when we have sex with someone, we want to think about what would we imagine doing to them that turns us on. And that's what we move towards. And then move towards partnered sex. And if you're a single person, have a multitude of partners. Make sure you talk about sexual health and wellness, STD and STIs. Make sure you have compassion and consent in there, making sure that you're not going to feel worse off or neither will they as a result of the sex you're having or having had sex, because that's a part of sexual health and wellness, walking away, feeling good about who we were with and what we did. And, and really push on your boundaries, push on your anxiety and expand. Uh, we have time for another one. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, what are some questions to ask on a first date to get to know someone, uh, but not to go too deep and scare them? Uh, my stance is there's no such thing as too deep. If you're a person of depth, I want you to present as a person of depth and see if they're compatible with you. I'm a person of depth. I don't care about the weather. I don't care about what shows you're watching. I go deeper because I only want to be around people that have the ability to do that. Otherwise, I'm bored. And there's no such thing as going too deep. Yes, you want to have boundaries. So I'm not saying to them, tell me your trauma history. Tell me, you know. So <laughs> you're within the confines of what's comfortable. People should have boundaries and privacy. We have to earn their trust to be brought into deeper levels. So we might not be getting personal, but we can still get deep. Um, what do you want out of your life? What are you trying to do with your time here? You know, what are you doing in the world? I love people saying, what do you do for work? Because it opens up what they do for 40 hours a week, what they do with their time, who they are. If someone doesn't ask me about my work, they miss out on finding out about my passions, my interests. My work is my hobby. My work is my identity. My work is my activism. It's big. Um, and so ask deep questions, you know, what, what is their, what do they have spiritual practices? What do they believe in spiritual, spiritually and let them assert boundaries or privacy when needed. Cause again, we're not getting personal. We're just getting deep and you can get deep without maybe disclosing things that you're not ready to disclose. So I wouldn't shame depth. I'm so bored and my brain hurts when I'm around people that don't have that capacity. And I don't want to delay finding out whether or not they have that capacity. I don't want to build in months of dating to then find out that when I'm with them, I'm going to feel very much on my own and alone because they only know how to talk superficially. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But again, as I said, boundaries and privacy, we earn our right into hearing personal stuff. But there is like a middle ground between that. I think dates are boring when we're just talking about news business and weather or what our favorite color is. <laughs> Um, so yeah, don't shame that you're trying to, you're trying to figure out who they are. All right. We gotta, we gotta go. We'll be back though. So if you got some questions, drop them in the DMS, but otherwise more to come y'all. So stick around. You're listening to love Lama, Dr. Chris on channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all we're back and we're talking tonight about monogamy, just kind of exploring it, interrogating it, looking at the good, the bad, the ugly, the positive, the negative talking about some stats and some facts and some figures. Um, we were talking about the animal and plant kingdom, which a lot of people use to try to shame creative, diverse ways of expressing gender and relationality and sexuality, even though the animal and plant kingdom has uh, more creativity and diversity than we even have. So we were kind of covering some of that. You can check that out by going to wearechannelq.com. Scroll down the third level and click on it. Bam, you can check out the past episodes. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I, want, I want people to really understand what the goal of relationality is and what monogamy has led to is some people think 
thinking that it's about ownership and control. My husband, my girlfriend, my boyfriend. No, it's about someone partnering with this individual to enhance their life. It shouldn't be about protecting ourselves from anxiety and trying to have ownership. That is how you turn a relationship toxic. Uh, it should be built on trust, not control. Let me say that again. Build your relationship on trust, not on control, because you can't control. And when you try to control someone, guess what happens? They will naturally find ways to assert themselves and to find autonomy and push back. And often it's done in secretive ways because people don't feel safe around controlling people. So what am I saying? I'm saying if you try to police and control someone, you're actually creating what you're most fearful of, and that is that they will find ways to defy you and, and, and push back, often behind your back. Be with people that are worthy of your trust and then practice trusting, letting go and knowing that they will show you who they are and how much they respect you in the relationship based on what they do. And you will deal with that, whatever that means. Um, and don't over catastrophize the outcomes. If someone cheats or doesn't make you uncomfortable, talk it out. What was that about? What's going on? How can we fix this? What do we need to learn from this? What do you need? What do I need? It shouldn't be anything that should be as destabilizing as we've made it in our culture. For some people, it's their biggest fear. You should have bigger fears than that because people <laughs> are going to let us down multiple times through the duration of our lives together and we have to be able to repair and heal. And if you trust someone, you can do that work. But I don't wanna get off on that tangent. Um, there's something else I wanted to say. Again, this is a topic that I have a lot to say on, but... Um, and sticking with that whole idea that relationships should be about trust and care and not about control. And we should be constantly examining what our presence is doing to this other person as we are in their life, which we are gifted. You can be gifted, you can be kicked right out. We are, we are gifted and blessed with the ability to be a part of someone's life and we should see it as such. And that's why I'm always saying it should be about equity where we're saying, what do each of us need? It's not about equality. It's not about sameness. It's not about identical. If you do that, I'll do that. And if you want that, then I want that too. No, it's about equity. Everyone has power. Everyone has control and everyone's voice and needs matter and everyone gets what they need. That's the model, an equity model. Every partner should have just as much control and as much compassion directed towards them. But when we're, when we're anxious, because we're not willing to trust or with someone we can't trust, that's when the policing and the control kicks in. And that's when relationships start to move towards toxicity because we grab harder, we hold on tighter. Some people have been raised in families where they weren't taught trust because parents were abandoning or they saw one partner, their parents, really harm the other and or through their adolescence and teenage and adult years, they were maybe harmed in a relationship, shown that some people can't be trusted. And so some of this is about reparenting and a lot of it is about repair. And part of that is making better adult decisions about what kind of partner we are and what kind of partner we choose to bring in our lives. Why? Because it will either reinforce the trauma of our family of origin or the trauma of our own relational history or it heals it. Everything harms or heals, strengthens or, or waters down and even maybe eliminates. And we should always be thinking in those terms. Am I helping to build and be a part of a relationship which is healing for me and everyone involved? Or am I recreating these dynamics again? And at any point, it's no, there's no such thing as too far, too far along or too far gone. All relationships and human psychology have plasticity, malleability. We can always create changes. It's never too late, but it's about making that decision around what kind of partner relationship do you want to have? Do you want to have a loving, caring, trusting, cooperative relationship, or do you want to have one that's rooted in anxiety and control? 
You get to decide. And you want to weigh in on that with your partner. You Maybe you do need to sit down and say, we are doing all this wrong. I, I was listening to Loveline and we are toxic as heck. And we both need to work on letting go more, living in a way that's worthy of us trusting each other. And then we step in and actually actualize that because we don't need to do this. <laughs> we want to. And we should only be doing this as long as it's good for both of us. And when and if, it, if and when that no longer is on the table, we should lovingly end and step away. You know, we'll talk more about it when we come back. We're also later going to be doing some DMs. So if you got some questions, bam, drop them in the DMs on our Love Line IG page. Also some topics you want us to cover, which is where tonight's show came from. Two people or three people, I can't remember, were in my DMs telling me they had questions about this. Um, and I was like, let's do a segment on it. So later in the show, we'll be talking about what does toxic monogamy actually look like? What are the traits that we want to move away from? And instead, what do we want to move towards? Because it's really important for us to be behaviorally specific. So you can be like, oh, that's me. Oh, that's me. Because we're calling ourselves out first, right? All right, stick around, y'all. Got uh, we got more to come. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all. We're back and we're looking at monogamy stuff. What an interesting topic. One that no one really interrogates or critically analyzes. Most people are just like, yep, that's what's expected. That's what we do. High five. Or people are writing books and stepping into open styles, polyamory, all sorts of stuff. It's, it's really an interesting, fascinating time. And I know if people in an older generation maybe aren't as familiar, maybe you are because you run in more relational sex positive based environments. I don't know. It really depends, but I'm working with more and more people that are wanting more open styles. Uh, a lot of them tend to be initiated by females. Females are the gender that are asking for more of these diverse styles more so than men, which surprises some people because we've had this really sexist, toxic uh, masculine idea that men are hypersexual and women aren't, And but it's not the case. More women are stepping into sexual empowerment, which is a beautiful thing, and they're delaying marriage and delaying monogamy, and they're wanting to explore. Why? Because sex and relationships are skills, and the more experience we have, the more skills we have, and the more confidence we have. And it's a developmental, it's their developmental stages that need to be uh, accrued and acquired. And I'm all about people delaying, you know, long-term relationality as long as possible so that they can meet these milestones. Otherwise, it's to our detriment. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with longer-term relationships, but some people in their 20s get into these multi-decade relationships and they miss out on these developmental stages and milestones. And they stay within the closed system of their one partner and they don't really get to see what could be, what should be, what better skills are to learn boundaries, communication. You miss out. You miss out. So I always say date a lot in your 20s and even into your 30s and delay these monogamous, long-term marital things. Delay that as long as you can so you can learn and grow and experience. Um, I wanted to look at some other interesting stats. So about right now, it depends on the number, 75% of people choose monogamy. Uh, 19 point, again, let's just go, I'll just round up. So that means 76% choose monogamy, 20% are mostly monogamous, and then about five are uh, poly open and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, the numbers are still small, but they're growing. And again, these are self-reports, so maybe not that, you know, that the, the greatest. Uh, there's something else I wanted to share. Uh, here's one. So of monogamous relationships within the first year, 70% have sex less often than the year prior. So after the first year, 70%, it kind of starts to taper off and drop, which is kind of part of what happens with monogamy, um, <clears throat> which is, you know, again, as we've talked about on the show, 
Uh, hot, 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 highly arousing sex requires newness and novelty and the way we run our relationships in the toxicity form, uh, often too much closeness and togetherness, not enough space to really let that spark exist, or we become really dependent on our partners in a way that makes us anxious and we feel it feels fragile and we're not as willing to push on the edges and assert ourselves and ask for what we want and do some creative exploration and, and challenging of those um, you know, those familiar ways that we are. And that's why I'm always advocating for clients to make themselves known. I want clients to bring their best to their monogamous relationship. That if no, if my God, if you're in a monogamous relationship, as I say in the show, often and often and often, that is the partner that should know all the aspects and dynamics of your sexuality. If not them, then who? So really, 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 really practice bringing that to them. Um, <clears throat> all right, so what does toxic monogamy actually look like? Oh, we're going to run through some examples of it. And again, as always, I want you to first start by analyzing yourself by saying, is this me? Do I do this? I want to work on being a better partner, you say to yourself. So I want to really call out any versions of this that I might step into or create. Why? Again, because I realize that relationships aren't about confinement and, my li and, and our lives shrinking down. It's about expansion. It's about more joy. It's about more care. It's about more compassion. It's about more support. Um... Jealousy tends to be the number one thing. Jealousy is a very difficult emotion. Everyone will experience it regardless of what your relational style is, uh, or maybe you won't. You know, Maybe there are some people out there that never had to really bump into that, but know that um, jealousy isn't a necessary thing. It, it's, it is not necessarily an indicator that someone loves you, <laughs> so don't be thrown off if your partner isn't jealous, but part of toxic monogamy is the idea of that, uh, trying to ward it off or seeking it. Um, also, part of toxic monogamy is this idea that needs should only get met by one person and your primary partner. And uh, an example of toxic monogamy is you uh, shaming or trying to not allow, trying to figure out the right words are, you are discouraging maybe, uh, your partner having other relationships. And I don't mean romantically and sexually. Sexually, we're talking with the monogamy. I mean, you don't support your partner having friends. You 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 are threatened by their friends. You make an issue of them having friends. You shame them and punish them when they wanna spend time with their friends. If you do that, you are not being a good partner and you are engaging in a toxic form of monogamy, which is called toxic monogamy. You are misusing your role in their life. You're making their life harder. If you love someone, and, and, and you trust them, and if you don't, get the heck out, but if you do trust them, you say to them, I want you to be happy. You're happy when you're with your friends. Of course, go see your friends. And then when they come home, you say, how was it? Did you have fun? You don't say who, where, send me pictures, and then punish them for going. You are not being a loving, compassionate partner. That is not the deal we make. And that's one of the big issues. I work with some clients where their partners don't let them have friends, shame them when they go out with their friends, and then punish them when they get home. That is not acceptable, and that tends to be the one point. They want to be aware of where you are and who you're with and a lot of control. We're not doing that. It's okay to wonder who their friends are, and it's okay to want to be introduced to their friends and, and at times maybe even be included, but you shouldn't punish them for having friends, and you shouldn't make them feel bad for having friends. All of our needs can't get met by our partner. We don't need them to. It's okay for us to do some things with our partner, but then have friends that we prefer to do other things with. Also tied to that, it's okay to take days and times to yourself. It's okay to say, Saturday, I want a day to myself. I'm going to go read somewhere. I'm going to go hiking. I'm going to go watch the game. We don't always have to be together. That's a toxic expectation on someone. They're allowed to have a life and an identity outside of their primary partnership. That shouldn't be threatening. Um, 
You know, we want to give equal time to our partners, but it shouldn't be threatening that they have other relationships. All right, we're going to come back and uh, talk a little bit more about the uh, specifics of toxic forms of monogamy because some of this has been normalized and a lot of people don't even bat an eyelash and they should. So stick around. More to come. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back, y'all, so don't go anywhere. All right, y'all, we're back talking about toxic forms of monogamy. A lot of these things are normalized. That's why we got to talk about it. One of them we were saying before the break was not supporting your partner, having friends and spending time with them and instead shaming them and making a problem of it and punishing them. Um, <clears throat> I'm looking at a list of some of the things I came up with, but I want to, there's one I really wanted to, um, where is it? Where is it? Um, oh yes, here it is. The idea that if you love your partner and you're attracted to them, that you will never find anything else ever attractive. Oh my God, we have eyeballs. No matter how much we love and are attracted to our partner, we will always be oriented biologically towards other attractive things in the world. Now, we don't have to act gross about it and make a big deal about it, maybe make our partner feel insecure, but like, dear God in heaven, if you see your partner noticing someone attractive, calm down, chill out. That is not something that's harmful. Roll with it. If they're inappropriate about it, you have a right to say, hey, that felt kind of bad. You know, I appreciate that you noticed, but you didn't have to, you know. But if they're just chill about it and they're just, their head turns, okay. There's nothing wrong happened here. We have, we're have we not trying to control people. We're not trying to like limit them as sexual beings. Monogamy just means you're not going to have sexuality in a physical sense with other people, but that doesn't mean they can't move through the world still being a healthy erotic being. It is healthy to acknowledge and notice other attractive things in the world. Again, we want to handle and manage it and step into it with care, compassion, and respect for our partner, but the acknowledgement of it or seeing it for a second has to be acceptable. We don't leave the house covering our faces so as to not make our partner have to see that we're an erratic person. So like we need to chill out on that, although we're getting a little bit better with that. Um, I think another form is the expectation that we always have to do more or we have to always have to be moving towards something or that there's only a right path to be on. And we call it historically the relationship escalator, which is, you know, not everyone after monogamy wants to also live together or not everyone then wants to also have kids or not everyone wants to get married. And that's okay. You can express a lot of love, care and trust, and not get married, express a lot of love, care and trust, and maybe not have kids Expe express a lot of love, care and trust, and maybe never live together. Like I, I want to also separate some of that out. Those are the normative expectations but it's okay to want something else. We can't make those demands um, because some of these demands and expectations and forms of control are what's turning people off from being in relationships at all because they think that that's what everyone's going to do or from when that stops some people from wanting monogamy because they're expecting it to also be, you know, something that shrinks their life down or really makes their life harder than thinking that they have to always be with you, uh, always meet every need of yourself, deny that they're an erotic being, not want to spend time with friends, um, all sorts of stuff that they have to go through these stages to prove themselves. Like I told you the story about my brother who wasn't interested in a, in getting engaged or married yet, or maybe even at all, who knows? And his girlfriend's therapist is shaming him for it. And it's like, dear God, what, what is this institution that we're upholding? We have to, we have to kind of shake that off. So I want us to interrogate our own expectations. Um, do you think your partner should meet every single one of your needs? Is that, is that reasonable? Is that an expectation you want to hold? Um, do you feel that if committed and exclusive, your partner should never notice or feel attracted to anything else ever in the world? Uh, do you think that you should be the only priority in your partner's life? Ooh, phone. 
Um, do you believe that commitment has to look one way and one way only? Because again, this is where we get back to both people's needs meet. Both people's needs matter. No one's needs or feelings are more legitimate or meaningful than anyone else's. And just because you want things a certain way doesn't make you more right because yours is more control-based. Your partner might be more casual. That doesn't mean that they're then wrong. We have to find a compromise sometimes. Um, what else is I going to say? Do you expect your partner to know everything you need without you having to tell them? That's another expectation in toxic monogamy. Build intimacy and disclose and share who you are. I don't want people to do mind reading. We often get it wrong, and that's a way that we actually prevent true intimacy and depth within our relationships. So it really just comes down to make sure that the decisions you're making and the current structure and ways that you're running your relationship feel good to everyone, help them get their needs met, and don't feel constricting. Our lives should be getting bigger, not smaller, as people are brought in. And primary relationship is, is an example of that. We shouldn't have to not see our friends anymore. We shouldn't have to feel trapped. We shouldn't have to feel policed. We shouldn't feel as though we don't get to have boundaries and privacy. I always remind people that even when married, you still get to have boundaries with your partner and you still get to have privacy. You still get to say, I don't want to talk about that. Or that's something that's personal I keep to myself. Uh, your partner, whether married or not, doesn't have a right to go through your phone, to go through your diary. You have a right to have privacy in your conversations with your friends and conversations with yourself about your thoughts. No, they don't have a right to know everything. They never could anyway. There's no such thing. We couldn't ever share every single thought or feeling we have as we go through the day. Um, and listen to your friends. Sometimes your friends will lean in and say, yeah, there's some things you guys are doing that just don't seem healthy. Um, and a lot of some things we normalize within monogamy can sometimes be emotionally abusive where we'll allow our partner to mistreat us because we've now made this bigger commitment and we somehow think that that means we can really be poor in our in the way we respond to each other. So be thoughtful about that. Some people start backsliding into some really bad behavior. Um, monogamy should be a choice we make because we want deeper intimacy and it should enhance our relationship, not, not make it harder. Because remember, it's historically born out of control, wanting to know that your child is in fact yours. And it, it's not rooted in anything positive. It's very much rooted in patriarchal needs and some toxic masculinity and a lot of anxiety. And there's a really beautiful, healthy way to run monogamy. Just make sure you are in fact doing that. Uh, coming up next, we're going to do some DMs. You know, so join us. Don't go anywhere. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey, y'all. We'll be back. Stick around. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more rings, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Modelo, the Markable Fighter. Trick responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, y'all, we are back, and uh, now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Let's see, here we go. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, how do I tell my partner what I need in bed? I'd really like to try different things, maybe some threesomes, some toys, anything different. We've been together for two years. I feel like we're getting a little bored. Again, how do I tell my partner what I need? By telling them. What do you mean, how do I? With, by using your mouth, using your words. When people say, how do I, I, I really think they often mean, I, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of telling them, how do I deal with my discomfort? Because how do I tell them by opening your mouth and, and telling them? Um, so how do you deal with your discomfort? By reminding yourself that you've been in a relationship with someone for two years. This is your primary sexual partner, I'm assuming. So of course you have to take your sexuality to them. But what I'm hearing you say is in two years, you haven't built enough, you haven't really built enough vulnerability and intimacy where you're able to share vulnerable and intimate things. So I'm a little concerned. What kinds of things have you been talking about for two years? You've never talked about sex. You've never talked about things that make you a little anxious. So globally, I think you need to work on intimacy because again, if we can't talk about sex with someone, then I'm worried about what other anxiety inducing vulnerable things we can't talk about because couples that from the door have really worked on dropping deeper, they've gotten onto that topic or it's a very easy segue. So I think you need to work globally on making yourself more known. I think you have to work on globally sharing things that maybe make you a little anxious or uncomfortable. I think you have to work globally on the two of you dropping to deeper levels. And yes, this can be a way to do that. So you work towards it. Hey honey, I, we've been together for two years and I'd love for us to start pushing on our edges, pushing on our comfort and exploring sexually. Just start planting those seeds. Maybe that's all you say the first couple of times. Get familiar talking about sex again. And then you start to say things like, honey, I'd love to hear more about who you are sexually. What are the kinds of things that you fantasize about? What kind of porn maybe do you look at? What are the things you've always wanted to try? What, if, what are things you've done with past partners that have felt good that we haven't done? And you kind of move towards, if you have a you know healthy, sophisticated partner, you move towards talking more about who we are as sexual beings, which is building intimacy. And you start to say, hey, let's talk about some of the things we've always wanted to do but haven't. We, you know, a sexual bucket list. Um, and we move into the yes, no, maybe list. Let's talk about all the things we want to do. And we'll say yes to those that we both feel great about, no to the ones we don't, and maybe to the things that need a little tweaking or changing before we try it. You might surprise yourself. Your partner might be dying to have that conversation, but think you're not able or willing. Your partner might have a whole host of things that they've always wanted to do, but didn't think you'd be open to it. If this is your primary partner, then dear God in heaven, this is someone you need to talk to about these things. <laughs> Otherwise, you're gonna act it out without them, build some resentment, or the relationship is going to dry up and flatten out. And so it's imperative 
that couples are able to talk about these things again, because it tells me they can talk about other vulnerable, intimate things. So this is huge. So please do that. All right, we got time for another one quickly. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, uh, just met my partner's family for the first time and I really got the feeling that they didn't like me. My partner said they did, but his father wouldn't even look me in the eyes and it felt like his mom was rushing to get us out. Well, remember, our thinking isn't always rooted in reality. Our thinking tends to be extreme, negative, and not always rooted in reality. Do you trust your partner? If so, then you trust them and you update your thinking when you get evidence that you've been wrong. And a trusted partner should be able to be evidence for us to update our thinking. You are incorrect. Maybe his, maybe your partner's father isn't great at eye contact. Maybe the father is uncomfortable meeting new people. You have to ask yourself what might be going on for them. We tend to be very self-centered in our analysis. When someone cuts you off in traffic, it's not, oh my God, that person's a jerk. Wait, what might be going on for them? Maybe they're rushing to the hospital. Maybe they're distracted. Maybe they're having a hard day. Maybe they didn't see me. We have to get better at considering the idea that other people have reasons that have nothing to do with us. Not everything's about us, but our feelings and our thinking is always self-obsessed and extreme and has a negativity bias and is often not rooted in reality. Your partner said that they did. Update your thinking and feeling in response to reality. Our thinking and feeling is, is flexible. It's something we create arbitrarily based on our own experiences. That doesn't mean it's real or true just because we feel something or think something. In healthy relationships with people we trust, we have to let them influence us. Otherwise, we have a far bigger issue. Um, so you are incorrect and next time you see them, Acknowledge that, you know, again, they are the way they are. Maybe the mom had other things to do. Maybe something happened you're not aware of. Uh, maybe she hit her limit of socialization. I don't know, but not everything's about you, right? So do see them again. Be very friendly when you see them again. And whatever behaviors you've decided are a sign of them not liking you, flip it and say, I'm not reading that right. I'm not always in reality. All right, y'all, that is our show. Thanks for hanging out. We'll be back. We are channelq.com is where you want to go to check out past episodes. Thanks for hanging out, y'all, and you enjoy the rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.